This is the Wealth Ability for CPAs show. Better clients, better practice, better life. Here's Tom Wheelwright. Welcome to the Wealth Ability show for CPAs, where we're always discovering how to create better clients, a better practice, and a better life. Hi, this is Tom Wheelwright, your host, founder and CEO of the Wealth Ability Network. Very excited today for our topic. You know, as your success grows, and I'm hoping that you're you know, you're out there as a CPA firm and you're getting more and more successful. The economy's good. But as your success grows, actually the threat to your success also grows. And so today you will discover the greatest single threat to your success and how you can manage that threat. And it's not really a topic we tend to think about as being a threat to our success. As CPAs, we're not really known for having big egos. And yet, As our guest is going to tell us, it's actually our egos that are the biggest threat. And I've seen it because I see as I as I teach and train CPAs that there are a number of CPAs there that out there that actually think they know everything already. And uh, (laughs) that's a challenge because that's our ego. And then that's a threat. And that's the kind of threat we're talking about. I'll get back to this in a second. Now I have something specifically for CPAs. What if you could discover a simple way to double your profitability in the next 90 days without adding any new clients? That's right. Whether you're a CPA, tax advisor, other tax professional, accountant, bookkeeper, in my newest resource, I will walk you through a simple five-step process that's proven to help you do just that. We have members of our network that have doubled their profitability in 90 days or less, and you can do this too. Now, to get your free copy, just go to wealthability.com slash CPA profit. That's wealthability.com slash CPA P-R-O-F-I-T. Get this new resource so that you can double your profitability in the next 90 days. And we have an amazing guest uh, today. His name is John Havlick. John is a former Navy SEAL. He has been at the top top, top from the leader, uh, leadership standpoint in the Navy and uh, has some amazing success and stories. And uh, John, I understand you actually also graduated with an accounting degree. Yes. Uh, hey, good good morning. And thanks for having me on. Uh, yes. I, uh, one thing we do have in common is I, uh, when I went to college at West Virginia University, uh, I did re- graduate with an accounting degree. And, uh, probably the only Navy SEAL ever to graduate with an accounting degree, (laughs) not what we're known for. Well, no, I don't, I don't think it goes far in the SEAL community, but, uh, but it got me through college, you know, so I'll, I'll take that. But yeah, I did, uh, enjoyed, I had a great principles of accounting teacher, uh, who kind of made 31 December, uh, close out accounting principles sound pretty interesting. So it kept me, uh, me, got me interested. And then uh, what I found out with swimming is uh, accounting and working with numbers kept me busy and awake because I was training so much. I found myself falling asleep when I was studying. So by keeping myself busy and my mind active, I was able to stay up and study pretty well. So that's how I became an accountant. And, uh, but I can tell you, since I graduated, I haven't opened an accounting book yet. So. so tell us a little bit about your background with the Navy SEALs. How, how, I mean, how do you go from being a, a swimmer in college and an accounting degree to a Navy SEAL? 
Well, I, I, when I graduated from West Virginia, I thought I wanted to be a swim coach. And so finished up my, I went an extra semester at West Virginia. So I coached, uh, my, when I used up all my eligibility and, and I thought that was what I wanted to do. So I looking at opportunities out there, especially college swimming, which I really enjoyed to, uh, coach. And so I did that my first year after, uh, my eligibility was up at West Virginia, and then I went down to the University of South Carolina and just kind of walked on and said, hey, I want experience, but and it was a good swimming school, SEC, and so I said, I'm going to do that. So I did, you know, and I made no money, but I got experience. And then uh, one swim meet, uh, the naval, uh, the Navy swim coach was there, and, and I grew up uh, outside of Baltimore, and because there was no public high school swimming at in Maryland at the time I swam at the Naval Academy in the age group <laughs> program there. So he knew me, he had recruited me for Navy when I was eligible. And, and, uh, so the opportunity came up, uh, he said, how would you like to coach swimming at the Naval Academy? And I said, well, yeah. And he goes, uh, it'd be great. You know? And he said, well, hold on, let me work on it. And I'm gonna call you back in a couple of weeks. So a couple of weeks go by, calls me, said, Hey, do you want to coach at the Naval Academy? I said, absolutely. And he goes, before you say yes, there's a catch. And I go, what's it? What is it? And he goes, you got to join the Navy. And I go, excuse me. And he says, well, this is, we are hiring nine assistant coaches, not through the public sector, but through the military service. And you have to join the Navy. You have to enlist. You have to go to boot camp. And then once you're completed boot camp, you have guaranteed orders to the Naval Academy for three years. And I was like, Okay, well, that's okay. I got nothing else going, so you know why not? So, so I did that. Uh, went to boot camp uh, with uh, eight other guys, and we all uh, eventually ended up at the academy in different sports. And uh, and I was coaching at the Navy Naval Academy, which was very cool, and I really liked it. And then one day, I uh, I saw some guy walking down the pool deck, and lean, you know, in shape, tanned up. And I said, you know, I looked at the head coach. I said, who's this guy? And he goes, oh, this is Lieutenant so-and-so. He uh, just checked on board. He's a Navy SEAL. And I'm like, you know, what's a Navy SEAL? And he goes, oh, those are the Green Berets in the Navy. And I said, okay. So, you know, I, you know, didn't think much of it. And, and then over time I got to know him, uh, the guy, and we became good friends and we'd work out together. And, and then I started thinking about halfway through the coaching uh, assignment at the academy that maybe I, maybe coaching is not what I want to do for my life. And so I talked to my buddy and he told me the pros and cons of the whole of becoming a SEAL. And I said, well, it sounds like a pretty good deal. And so I put in the paperwork uh, and the folks at the Naval Academy were very supportive of me uh, picking the Navy as a career and going into something very challenging. And so that's what I did, you know, and I put in the package and the paperwork with the hope that I would get go to officer candidate school first, get a commission as an ensign, and then go to SEAL training after that. And that's what I did. So that's how I got into SEALs. And that's the quick gist of the story. Well, I, I, I appreciate hearing that. Now, a couple of things strike me. First of all, you were in for a very long time. And I watch you guys. I mean, I watch the Navy SEALs. My wife and I, I, I mentioned this before we started recording, that I, I watch my wife and I go down to San Diego, Coronado, and we're at the 
at the high rise condominiums that are right next to where the Navy SEALs train. And I watch, <laughs> I watch you guys train. And I'm just going, oh my heavens, it's unbelievable. But what really strikes me is, um, you know, you've written this book on the leadership killer reclaiming humility in an age of arrogance. And I would think of all people who could have a major ego and ego could become a serious challenge would be a Navy SEAL. I mean, you're at the very, 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 very top of the game. So tell me, I mean, I'd like to know, why'd you write this book? Why do you see this as an important topic? And then I want to talk about, okay, how do, how do we deal with that in, in our, in my business, which is the CPA community? Yeah. I mean, uh, yes, the SEALs, special operations field is full of super type A personalities. And, you know, so and, you know, you go through, you're going through SEAL training and you hear every day that this is the toughest training in the military and maybe in the world, you know. So you start believing that, you know, and, and you know, as a young officer, you, you, know, you get through, you graduate, you know, you, you kind of take that attitude with you that uh, I can run through a brick wall and run through another one if you want me to, you know, and just look for another one to run through, you know, because that's kind of what they want, you know, they want confident leaders to make hard decisions in stressful situations. And, uh, and that's what ultimately is that's what the guys you're leading want you to do. They want to have the confidence in you as a leader that you can make the decision for the best interest of the mission and them, you know? So that's kind of the overarching theme as you go through SEAL training and, and you're very cocky. And so I kind of carried that attitude when I was a young junior officer, you know, I kind of knew everything and, I was doing good stuff and I took, uh, I took the hard jobs and I did well in them, but, uh, I think my ego kind of got carried away. And, and as I write in the book, I kind of had a, I kind of had a glitch in my career, you know, and basically, uh, I had to get out, uh, because I didn't promote. And a lot of that was due to my own ego. And, um, I stepped on some toes along the way. And so, but I recognize the fact that, uh, it was my own fault and I, Got it. Got another opportunity to come back in the Navy, you know, uh, like a few years, a couple of years down the road. And I worked real hard to get it. But when I got back, I, I used the experience. It really humbled me. And, you know, I, I made me realize that I'm not this cocky, badass seal that I thought I was. And, uh, and it humbled me and it made me a better leader and it made me more effective around people. And I tried to treat people a little better than I had had before. And so I carried that throughout my career, and it seemed to work very well, especially when I got into some higher-level positions during the war, uh, working with groups from all different services, all different agencies, government, international. You know, you, you kind of have to swallow your ego and do what's right for the mission, not for you, you know. And so I tried to carry that, and I, I think I got that all from, you know, an unfortunate career experience for me. So I used that, and when I got out, I, I, I hooked up with, uh, or I got reacquainted with my co-author, Bill Treasurer, who uh, at Giant Leap Consulting, and we, he would bring me into seminars, and we would talk about leadership and, you know, the pros and cons. And, and as I talk, uh, as we talk before these presentations, we, we always seem to read an article or see something on the news about a leader that did something bad, you know, something unprofessional something that they knew they shouldn't have done. 
and we start talking about that and we just kind of he said hey i want to write a fifth book do you want to co-author and when we came up with the, the theme of hubris and humility i said yeah i'm on board with this because uh, i have a story to share so we used that practical experiences of bill in the corporate business world and mine in the military to kind of share our experiences and pass along tips to try to keep people from to control their hubris and uh, and try to stay a humble but an effective leader. So, John, I'm fascinated with this whole topic. This is actually something that I I spent a lot of time studying. And in fact, I uh, I'm reading a book right now called The Daily Stoic, which is uh, uh, Stoicism, which is actually right. written by the author of Ego Is the Enemy, right? Um, and the whole idea is that look, your ego is going to get in your way. So. What do you see? I mean, what is it that you think makes ego, and we all have ego, obviously, but when ego takes over, why do you see that as the big leadership killer? I think hubris is the the root of all evil and all the other negative behavioral traits branch off from that. And so that's kind of the theme of the book that we identified. But what I saw, at least in my experiences in the military and my own experiences was as you rise up the ladder and you get promoted and advanced and you get into more senior positions of leadership, you know, you get a lot of perks, you know, and people work, you know, or standing by at your beck and call to do things for you. And you get the nice office and you get the nice parking spot, you know, and you get a little more paid and you start getting carried away of like, Hey, I'm successful. And you start seeing more and more benefits to the way you do your job and and you and it's a natural tendency to get carried away with it or to think that all of a sudden I'm special and it's hard because and it's hard to check that and question yourself as you're because hey I'm doing okay why why do I need to change anything or you know what what do I need to be wary of and and so I used to see, I used to see guys just carried away. And uh, so, so why do you, forget. why do you think you need to change that? I mean, you know, you, you talk about confidence. Confidence is certainly important um, yes. in, in a, in a business setting, especially as the leader, you know, like um, a lot of our listeners, um, they have their own CPA firm, their own accounting firm. So they are the leader of that firm. And confidence is a, is a big deal, not just to their staff, but to their clients and everybody around them. So why do you see this as such a threat? I think the threat comes into play is uh, power can uh, get you to cross that fine line of being professional. And uh, you tend to think because you're on top or in charge and you're successful that you can do things your way. And, you know, kind of the old adage I always used to hear, you know, do as I say, not as how I do, you know. And I never really respected guys that did that or came or had that type of leadership style. And, and so, you know, by ego, you have to, when your ego starts getting in the way and it becomes more about you and not the unit or the command and, you know, morale breaks down and your mission effectiveness breaks down. And so, um, it's, but it's a natural tendency to, Hey, I'm, I'm progressing up the chain. Everybody listens to me. I'm above everybody else, but you really have to be careful that you get, don't get carried away. So, so you mentioned in your book that uh, success is, is too small of a goal for a great leader. What does, what does that even mean? I mean, is I mean, that's what we're after is success. 
Yes, you ultimately you want to succeed, but you also want to be a good role model for the people that work for you. You want to be a good role model for your company, and you want to help develop future leaders because ultimately that's what we're all about: is developing the young to take over when it's time for us to move aside. And so I think by maintaining and controlling your ego and and being professional, you set the standards. You set the benchmark of performance so that others can emulate. So so one of the things I, I love about the military, and I was never in the military, I was actually the first group of uh, people not to be subject to the draft at all. I didn't even have to register for the draft. I was the, the, the first group that didn't have to do that after the Vietnam War. And um, so I, I don't have military background. I was a missionary, though for the Mormon Church in Paris, France, which I, I, I have a good friend, uh, you may have heard of him, Robert Kiyosaki, um, wrote yep. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and he was, uh, he was in the Marines, and he was a uh, um, helicopter fighter pilot. And he, he jokingly tells me all the time, he goes, man, I, I think being a, a Marine in Vietnam way easier than being a Mormon missionary. And sometimes, wow. there, were, there, were times, there were times on the mission that I thought that was true. I mean, you know, but it's but one thing that I that he and I have noticed is that one thing we share in common is that it's really about the mission, right? So the the, the mission may create success, but when we're focused on the mission, then we tend not to be. What I find is people who are focused on the mission tend to be um, more selfless, if if I can, or if if that's the right word to use, or at least you know not as egotistical, um, if I can use that word. And um, uh, certainly that had to be the case with the SEALs. You had to be completely mission-focused. Yeah, it's, you know, that's what they teach you from day one SEAL training. And especially as an officer, you're always being reminded, you know, from the instructors that it's about the mission. It's not about the individual. And so, you know, when I, I, you know, I tried to carry that through and use it throughout my uh military career, but where I was really highlighted was overseas in Iraq and a couple other places I went to when, when you're working with large groups and everybody's got their own ideas and their own way way of doing it. And you, when I was in charge, I'd have to kind of bring everybody together and focus them in on, this is what we got to do. This is why it's, this is why it's important. So let's concentrate on this, the mission, everything else works out afterwards. I like that. One of, one of the things that I tell our network members is that, you know, you really have to know who you are. What, what is your mission? And unfortunately, I think a lot of business owners, including CPAs, a lot of business owners, we're, you know, we don't really know what our mission is. You know, who is it that we're out to serve? What are we out to do for them? What is it we're trying to accomplish for our customers? What are we trying to accomplish for our, um, our staff, as you know, as, as you say, the, you know, I always say the purpose of a, the job of a leader is to build other leaders, right? That's the, that's right. the whole job to um, paraphrase what you were saying. And so how do you, how do you get people? And, you know, I'm curious from the, from the military perspective, how do you get people to engage in the mission to actually take that and say, okay, this is my mission? I guess I didn't try to overthink it too much. You know, I mean, I was always in the position where ultimately I was the, you know, if I tell you to do it, you have to do it, you know, whether you liked it or not. But, but I tried to go in with the approaches. I checked my ego at the door, you know, and I didn't, I tried never to just walk into a room going, Hey, I'm a Navy SEAL. 
you're going to do what I say, or, um, you know, I'm going to come after you or stuff like something like that. You know, I just, Hey, I, I'm the deputy commander of this task force. This is what we got to do. And it was really highlighted. I always remember, uh, I was over in Iraq and, and I helped close down Iraq, um, back in 2011 of all when president Obama said, everybody's out, you know, and we had to work really hard to, that was our mission to get be out by a certain date because that's what president Obama said. And that's what was agreed to with the Iraqis and everybody, you know, everybody got on board, but it took a while to get everybody on the same sheet of music. And, and this, you know, this is what we're doing. And a lot of it was just getting people to, Hey, this is what it's all about. This is our mission. This is our goal. This is what we're doing. It's not about you. And, uh, and I think over time, people, people, uh, got, did really well and got it, but it was hard at first. And, uh, I, I just tried to focus. This is our job. This is what we have to do. This is the mission. Let's make it happen. And the sooner people got on board with it, the easier it got. So, um, that's the way I approached it. Uh, it seemed to work pretty well. I like that. So, so you strike me as a, f- a amazingly humble, uh, person. I, and I say amazingly because I, I, Honestly, I would not necessarily expect that from a Navy SEAL. I, I didn't know what to expect. I'm quite um, overwhelmed talking to a Navy SEAL, quite frankly. Uh, <laughs> having been a swimmer myself, I, I mean, I, I know how hard that is. And you guys were yeah. doing it in full gear. And so <laughs> I'm like, this is amazing. But give us some thoughts, if you would, is how do you actually keep your ego in check then? I mean, I, you know, you alluded to a situation where you your ego was kind of handed to you. So um, you've, you've got the motivation, but how do you actually maintain, how do you keep it in check? Well, unfortunately, I, I learned the hard way. So, uh, you know, uh, having, having to get out of the military and give up the SEALs after doing it for 13 years was hard, you know. And so during the time I was out, uh, you know, I worked very hard to get back in and, and I got a second chance. And so I took advantage of that second chance and I worked on the things that I I identified things I wasn't very good at. And one of them was uh, kind of understanding office politics. I wasn't very good at that. And so I had to get smart on that. But I, I think just the big thing I, I think I mentioned earlier, I just, I, I just became humble and I kind of reverted back to the way I've always been. It's, there's a lot of different personalities in the special operations area. You know, everybody thinks it's uh, kind of what Hollywood portrays, a gung-ho in your face you know, larger than life figure. And some, some are, and some aren't, you know, and it's, and either personality or effective leaders, it's just what you're made of and what you're confident with. And I, and early on, I tried to be somebody that I wasn't very, I wasn't very good at. And, uh, and that getting out humbled me and got me back to the way I succeeded in swimming. I succeeded in coaching and and it also made me a better leader. So that's that's kind of what I did. I just uh, I just checked uh, I I checked myself basically and said, hey, this isn't you. Go back to the way you were. So I did that. But I, I think the big thing that we learned in the military was, uh, uh, especially as I got up higher in rank, was uh, we always had a check. We had somebody like uh, if I was the commanding officer, I had my executive officer, and then I had my senior enlisted advisor that were right there to kind of call me out if I was getting out of, you know, getting out of my britches, so to speak, or getting close across the line or doing something that just didn't make sense, you know? And 
So it's it's important if you can find somebody in in your life that can do that for you that can that you trust that can that can give you honest feedback and like I said call you out when you're getting out of hand so to speak. You know that that that's actually a really good point. I've been I've been thinking about that because one of the things we do on our network is we actually I I do some coaching with um, yeah. with a good portion of our members and we encourage our members to get coaching. One of the challenges, of course, is if you're at the top of the food chain in your business, it's you really can't do that. I mean, realistically with somebody else or it's pretty tough to do with somebody else in, um, who's you know reporting to you. So uh, getting somebody that that you can actually trust to give you honest feedback. I have uh, one of our, our members, I'm, I'm sure he's listening to this, um, one of our members, uh, our very first experiences, I called him out. He was 15 minutes late to our call. And I said, this is not acceptable. Yeah. And um, we've, you know, over the over the time we've been um, working together, I've just watched him grow. And I'm, I'm of all of our members, I, I may be most proud of him because it was, uh, you know, it's such a big challenge for him to to you know, have that coaching. He's, he, he told me, he says he never had anybody that just was um, called him out like that. And I, I think that that can be really important. I mean, I have, I'm fortunate. I get uh, Robert Kiyosaki calling me out on stage in front of 2000 people in Japan uh, yeah. <laughs> to say, don't do that. That's too complicated. Stop using numbers and, and yeah. to call me out right when I get too complex. So um, I, I think that's a, a really, a really big piece of it. Um, one of the other things that, yeah, that was, the, I, I want, if I could chime in on yeah, that, please. you know, the two things I learned when I got out was to learn a little bit more about politics, but the biggest thing I regret as, as a young junior officer was, uh, everybody tells you to find a sea daddy or a mentor, right. you know, especially in your field of choice. And, and I didn't do it. I just thought I knew it all. And I was cocky and I was young and, and like I said, I just I just thought I could do it all. And I didn't get somebody that I could go to for advice or as I went through my career and and I tried to manage it on my own. And it, and it bit me, you know, and I, I regret not doing that. But it, it is hard to find somebody that you trust and uh, will listen to. And that's extremely difficult. But I wish I'd have listened to those folks and gotten a sea daddy when I was younger. I like that. I like that a lot. One last thing that, um, before we, uh, we end here, uh, okay. you told me before we started that you are now back in school, um, yeah. working on a doctorate degree. And I found personally that one of the things that helps me, um, and my ego's not all in check. Don't get me wrong. Okay. <laughs> it's a full-time job for me and like five other people to keep my ego in check. Um, but what I, what I do find is, is that when I keep in mind of everything I don't know, and that the more I know, the more I know I don't know, um, then that's been very helpful. And I, I find it uh, fascinating that you've chosen late in your, your career here to go back to school and to learn something completely different. And do you find that, that keeping an open mind and constantly learning like that helps you keep your ego in check? Oh, absolutely, because when you walk in the classroom, uh, it's, it's a humbling experience of exactly what you don't know, you know. And so, uh, yeah, going back to school, was uh, I, it, I, I didn't really think hard about it. When the opportunity came up, I said, yeah, I'm going to do it. But uh, a lot of times I think about it, and my friends are like, you're crazy. What are you doing this for? And, 
you know, what are you going to get out of it? And I think uh, just I so far, you know, I'm one semester in, it's, it's the opportunity to just keep learning and keep growing. Uh, I just find it, uh, you know, and, and when I talk, and just like you, I'm sure, uh, in public speaking, you meet people that, you know, maybe I'm not the smartest, you know, I'm standing on stage and I'm talking, but maybe I need to know a little bit more about life or some of the things that the, the audience is going through that I had never experienced. And, and so school is a great opportunity to learn some things that I, that I didn't know and, uh, and, uh, kind of open up my aperture to, to what's out there and may hopefully make me, uh, you know, maybe a better speaker, add a little more credibility to, uh, my message and, yeah, so the opportunity to grow and learn is I I I'm I'm all on board with it. So I, I like that. I always I always figure that when I'm looking at a if there's if I'm in a group of fifty people that there's forty nine people that are smarter than I am in that room. And if they're not, if I'm the smartest person in the room, I need to get out of the room. Because yeah. so, I, I want to be learning from other people. And that's why that's why that's that's one of the things I love about doing this podcast is that I get to meet people like you, John, and uh, people who I'm always learning from. OK, here's here's something that, geez, I hadn't really thought of or here's something that we really need to be. This is something that it seems to me like we need to actually manage on a daily basis. It's something that we have to always be careful of because it's really easy to get the big office to, you know, um, you know, even, even get a new office, you know, get something nice and, and beautiful and wow, I'm successful and I get the nice car and all that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, um, you know, we, something happens and we realize that guess what, we're, we're not so much in control as we thought we were. And yeah. so <laughs> it's not really all our success. Um, and in my case, I know for a fact, it's all of my team's success, um, that, that gets us to, you know, to where we're going. It's all, it's all about the team and it's about the mission and so forth. So um, last thoughts, uh, John, any one or two things that you think we ought to be doing on a daily, weekly, monthly basis? You know, I, from the book, I, we, we talk about, I, I offer three tips. And then, and then the first one is, uh, you know, open up your mental aperture. So that's always about just putting yourself in new experiences where you can learn and grow. And uh, because you don't know everything. Awesome. When you, when you start thinking that, that's when you're, that's when hubris is starting to kick in, you know. Um, we already talked about have a check, you know, someone you trust that can give you good advice and call you out when you're getting carried away. And the last one I, I, I learned, the best thing I ever did as a leader and was I, I learned to push away from my desk and go down and do walkabouts around the command. And I learned I met my people, my sailors, where the work was being done, and I learned about them and, and learned to relate with them and talk with them. And uh, I learned so much about what was going on around command. So if you can find get that opportunity to do that, it's, it's invaluable. But it takes a commitment on your part. You have to be consistent about it. And like I said, a commitment so that it's not, you know, hey, once a year or something, I'm going to do this. I did it every week. Every Friday I was in town, I did it, and the people learned that I was, <laughs> here comes the XO, you know. And, but they knew it was an opportunity to talk directly to leadership, and That's it, awesome. was re- it, it was very rewarding. I offer up those three tips. I love it. So, and I, I hope everybody uh, listens to this show over and over again. John has such a wealth of knowledge. John, if, if we want to get more information about you or uh, what you're teaching, where would we go? CoachHavlick.com is my website. 
I have uh, at Coach Havlick uh, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn John Havlick. Uh, I work a lot with Bill Treasure, Giant Leap Consulting. I'm his special advisor, so you can always go to GiantLeapConsulting.com. Uh, the book LeadershipKiller.com. Uh, you can order it there. We just did an audio book, so you can go on Audible and order it there. So, or just Google me, and uh, <laughs> and I'll, I'm there. So. Awesome. Yeah, those, are, those are kind of the those kind of the sources to find out about. Me. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, John. It's it's absolutely an amazing um, uh, treat to have you on the show. And just remember, everyone, that you know when we when we do keep our ego in check, when we are learning, when we have somebody that we can um, reach out to to keep us in check, and then we can, and when we do get to you know walk around and be with our um, not just with our clients, but with our staff and really understand them, then what we're going to always end up with, we're always going to end up with better clients, a better practice, and a better life. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Ability for CPA show. Please subscribe on iTunes, leave a five-star review if you enjoyed the show. We do want to hear back from you. We want to hear which, you know, do you like the guests, what guests, what topics. We want to hear any feedback you can possibly give us because we are on a mission. We are absolutely on a mission in wealth ability to um, make radical changes and improvements to the CPA profession and give back. The CPA profession has given me so much over the years and uh, my, the rest of my life, really, uh, my, profession, my professional life is um, my whole mission is to give back to a profession that's been absolutely fantastic to me. So thank you, John. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Wealth Ability for CPA show. Better clients, better practice, better life. To learn more, go to wealthability.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.